0: Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.
1: This morning we are continuing in our summer sermon series titled, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like in which Jesus likens, rather than defines, a kingdom called heaven to the complexity and mystery of human activity, such as scattering seed, resting in trees, finding treasure, and casting nets. By exploring these parables, it's our sincere hope to encourage a community that more fully embodies a kingdom like heaven, which gestures toward the mystery of God and life of Christ in this world. Our 15-year-old son, Asher, loves to skateboard. And when I say he loves it, I mean he loves it. (laughs) Whenever it's nice out, he's on his board trying to maintain various tricks that he's learned. And he often goes into a day with an idea of something new that he wants to try and learn. He has a few dear friends in our neighborhood, and they spend countless hours on the corner with their skateboards skateboarding. And when they're not at the corner, they're trying to get a parent to take them to one of several skate parks around Portland. And when they're not skating or at a skate park, they are watching videos or reading Thrasher, which is a skateboarding magazine, or they're updating movies that they've made of themselves and that they share with each other. And when Asher talks to me about what he's been up to, uh, he uses skateboard lingo and makes all kinds of weird motions that make no sense to me whatsoever. (laughs) And I love it. I love it all so very much. His sweat and scabs and scars, his joy, his delight, his passion. It fills my heart to overflowing. About six months ago, Asher and his friends found out about a summer skate camp, and we parents agreed that it'd be, good, uh, it'd be a good experience for him and for his friends to go. And so finally, fully vaccinated, Asher will join his pubescent friends that remind me of the movie Sandlot <laughs> by getting on a plane, flying to another state, and for five days spend every waking hour on a skateboard. And Asher dreams about it. He talks with everyone about it. And when he does, he he lights up like a child in a candy store with money spilling out of his pockets. But as you can imagine, Asher does not have money spilling out of his pockets. <laughs> and so part of the agreement has been that he would do some extra work over the course of several months to help cover the costs. And I have been amazed. Mowing lawns, watering yards, raking leaves, digging up the grass in our front yard by hand until somebody told us that there's this thing called a sod cutter that we can rent. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) And he hasn't complained, not even a bit. Much the opposite, in fact. Skate camp has filled his heart. It has so filled his heart that he quickly and even joyfully... Sets aside other opportunities and responsibilities to inch closer and closer to his week away with friends on skateboards. From Matthew 13, picking up in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid, then in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of such great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Question. When did Christianity become effort and labor and work, absent of goodness, like a skate camp, that moves a high schooler to sell all that he has in order to acquire? Question. When did Christianity become effort and labor and work absent of joy like a treasure that moves a person to sell all that they have in order to acquire? Question, when did Christianity become effort and labor and work absent of value like a pearl that moves a person to sell all that they have in order to acquire? Now, I'm certain that the answer to these questions is different for each person. Perhaps you were born into Christianity, and it's simply been a part of your life for as long as you can remember, and so it's really more of of just some kind of generic identity than it is a goodness in your life. Or perhaps you entered into Christianity with incredible joy, But over time, uh, reflecting upon the reasons that motivated you to become a Christian were, were things like shame or guilt or fear or a sense of duty. And so faith has lost its luster. Or perhaps at one point in your life, Christianity gave you a helpful way of seeing and understanding the world and it felt so valuable. But over the last few years, its gendered hierarchy or white supremacy or bigotry or tribalism has devalued your faith. I don't know. Perhaps you're just getting old and think that something as serious as faith must be absent of youth-like joy. And yet, according to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that brings joy. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. Which makes me want to ask, what? What is it about the kingdom of heaven that is bringing joy like a treasure? What is it about the kingdom of heaven that can bring value like a pearl? In Robert Persig's 1974 classic book, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Persig explores a curiously ambiguous concept that he calls quality. Quality. According to Persig, quality is that which animates every person. It's the beauty of a sunset. It's the succulence of a pie. It's the magnificence of a concerto. It's the warmth of intimacy. And as you can probably already foresee, the problem with Persig's quality, whether that be the quality of a sunset or the quality of a pie or the quality of a concerto or of intimacy, uh, the problem with quality is that it is subjective. For example... You and I may disagree on a sunset's beauty or on a concerto's magnificence, depending on our personal perspectives and preferences. And yet, however, Persig argues that subjectivity should not hinder our exploration of this curiously ambiguous concept that he calls quality, because if we disagree on what—even if we disagree on what is or on what has quality— Quality is still core to our human activity and life. Quality is something that each of us desires, right? I mean, the more beautiful a sunset or the more succulent a pie or the more magnificent a concerto or the more warmth of intimacy is, more often than not, that which fills us to overflowing. Kind of like a 15-year-old who holds in his heart skate camp, or to use Jesus' Persig-like language, kind of like a kingdom called heaven that is so valuable, that has so much quality, that grown adults become overwhelmingly joyful and sell everything that they have to acquire it. But what exactly is quality when it comes to a kingdom called heaven? Well, Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and in Matthew chapter 4, he begins to proclaim good news, which can also be translated as gospel. Uh, both translations, good news and gospel, are based on the Greek word euangelion, and euangelion literally is the proclamation of good news. And euagelion, according to the New Testament, is supposed to be God's good news to humans. And so, perhaps, the gospel is simply and wonderfully uh, the divine proclamation of that which is truly good. Or, to put it another way, perhaps the gospel is the articulation of a kingdom like heaven, in which humans are so overcome by its goodness that they're filled with joy and sell everything that they have just to acquire its goodness, just to participate in that which has quality. But here again, we find ourselves lost in Persig's conundrum wondering, but what exactly is quality? What exactly is good? For the purpose of this sermon, I'd like to try and answer this question from a few different angles. And here's one angle. Good in the Hebrew is the word tov. For example, in the Genesis creation account, when God creates, and at the end of each day we're told that it was good, the word being used there is tov. Tov literally means to be good. It can also mean to be joyful. It can mean to be advisable. It can mean to be appropriate. It can mean to be valuable. In the Greek, the word for good is kolos, which can refer to outward beauty, but but it can also refer to something or to someone who is good or useful. And so, by way of a biblical word study, good is that which is joyful, likable, advisable, valuable, beautiful, and useful. But again, these words can be so subjective, and so here's another angle. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above, which I can only imagine refers to a kingdom like heaven, uh, but the kingdom of heaven from above, its wisdom from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now that is good. And the words good fruit make me think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 where we read the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things we're told there is no law. And of course there's no law because truly good fruit fulfills the divine law written on every person's heart, which is love. But again, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that which is pure and reasonable and full of mercy without hypocrisy. These ideas, these qualities are also somewhat subjective depending on the person. And so, uh, here's another angle that I often talk about. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into a synagogue, unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news gospel to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant sat down the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him then he began to say to them today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And so here we begin to move past qualities of good, such as joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control, and that which is pure and reasonable and full of mercy without hypocrisy, to activities of good freedom from bondage, healing for the sick, release for the oppressed, and the proclamation of God's favor on everyone and everything. But again, similar to these qualities of good, the activities of good can also be somewhat subjective. I mean, what is truly freedom from bondage? What is truly healing for the sick? What is truly release for the oppressed? And what is truly the proclamation of divine favor? And this, I think, is where Christian life begins to get interesting. Because over time, notions of of freedom and healing and release and the proclamation of divine favor are not static, they're fluid. And by fluid, I I do not mean moving in one direction and then then back in the other direction on some kind of never-ending pendulum. No. For over time, from the beginning of humankind and moving forward, freedom, healing, release, and the proclamation of favor, well, that, thank goodness, belongs to more and more and more people. And so perhaps part of Christian work, part of kingdom-like-heaven work that causes full-grown adults to be filled with so much joy that they sell everything to acquire it is to, rather than ask, what is freedom from bondage? What is healing of the sick? What is release of the oppressed? What is the proclamation of divine favor? Rather than asking these questions, perhaps part of kingdom-like-heaven work is to look out at the world From our generation's vantage point, whatever that is for every generation, and to ask ourselves, who? Who? Who is in bondage and in need of freedom? Who is sick and in need of healing? Who is oppressed and in need of release? Who is despised today and in need of hearing divine favor upon you? Until, inch by inch and year by year and generation by generation, the world has become so wonderfully good that bondage, sickness, and oppression no longer exist. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? And wouldn't that be meaningful work to give our lives to? I truly believe that is the invitation I truly believe that is what makes grown adults joyfully mow lawns and water yards and rake leaves and and dig up grass. And of course, I'm speaking metaphorically here because heaven isn't a place that can be grasped. Heaven is an ideal of qualities and activities that contribute to our wholeness and to this entire world's wholeness until there are no longer any fragmented parts or people. Pearl Church, this last year has broken our hearts. A country built on racism, inequitable policing and incarceration systems, AAPI and black men and women who cannot go outside without concern of being maligned or mistreated, a pandemic that affects everyone, but in which Americans have a glut of vaccines while many others across the world perish climate change wreaking havoc on our lives, and strains of Christianity that stubbornly and unceasingly maintain misogynistic, bigoted, racist, and violent ideologies through the stories that they tell and the systems in which they participate. There is much work to be done. There is much gospel to be shared. There is much heaven to be had. And now, today... (laughs) It is our time in the history of this world to sell all that we have to be part of the good that the divine is at work nurturing here, now, in 2021. I'd like to conclude this morning with one last angle on the question, what exactly is good? Well, so far in this sermon series, we've seen that the kingdom of heaven is like a generous farmer who scatters seed on every kind of soil with audacious hope in the possibility of every person. No person is beyond possibility. And that is good. So far in this sermon series, we've seen that the kingdom of heaven is like trees and bread that give rest and sustenance to all without, without any kind of discrimination. And that, you see is also good. And so far in this sermon series we've seen that the kingdom of heaven is like a field in which wheat and weeds live out life together because we are all each both wheat and weeds in process of becoming more whole. And that too is very very good. It's so good that it's kind of like a skate camp. It's kind of like a treasure. It's kind of like a fine pearl that fills our hearts with so much joy because of its quality, because of its goodness that we sell all that we have to participate in. And the sweat and the scabs and the tears and the scars, well, it has nothing to do with shame or guilt or fear or or duty. No, for this life in God, this life in love, the work is actually our joy. It's our delight. It's our passion. Because the good is that wonderfully, honestly, and reasonably good. May it be so, and let us pray. Good God, swell our hearts to overflowing because of your kingdom that nurtures belonging for every person. Hope that this too can change and animated by love, unwavering activity that seeks to make all things new.
0: We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.